titles by the time I was 30, with the fifth one ready to submit. I'd had my early years of rejection and discouragement until Douglas Hilliard had discovered me. Hilliard Publishers was family-owned, a small oasis in the midst of huge conglomerates that wanted to swallow it. More than anything else, my glow of happiness indicated that I'd finally begun to heal. It had been two years since Doug's death in a multiple automobile accident. Sudden death could be more devastating than a slow, expected death, which was the way my mother had gone. Writing had always been my lifeline, an escape into that imaginary world where hurts were fictional and endings happy. Now, on this bright spring day in New York, I could sense new stirrings of life in me. I was ready for something good to happen. My new novel was open on a nearby shelf to show both the front and back of the jacket. The gray-blue painting on the front had a woman's face floating mysteriously in mist, and my name, Molly Hunt, in large, clear lettering just below the title. I wasn't famous enough yet to have it placed above. The photograph on the back of the jacket was a variation of the signature photo Doug had invented for me. He had wanted something more glamorous and intriguing than the usual author's picture, and he'd suggested a clever disguise— I enjoyed hiding behind the dark glasses, pulling the black fedora down over my forehead, and concealing the lower part of my face with the upturned collar of a trench coat. It was a takeoff, of course, and we changed the pose for every new title. Norman Hilliard, my present editor, and Doug's younger brother, wanted something different for my next book, but I was still happy with the current lady in fedora. She seemed to hold more possibilities for adventure than I'd ever experienced in real life. I was sure she was much more like one of my intrepid heroines. In a moment, Norman's receptionist would summon me to his office, and I would brace myself against the familiar pain. The car accident that had killed Doug had been a tragedy for Norman as well, but it had also promoted him to senior editor and given him Doug's office. Doug and I were to have been married the following month, and I couldn't step into the room where we'd held so many conferences— without the sense of loss striking me all over again. My attention focused again on the man who sat across from me in the waiting room pretending to read a magazine. He had been stealing glances at me ever since he came in, glances that came close to open stares. When I caught him looking at me, he turned his eyes quickly away, but his attention came back to me repeatedly. The moment he'd entered the room, I'd been aware of his startled expression— With my writer's habit of quick observation, I'd registered his appearance. He was tall and strikingly good-looking, with thick, fair hair and eyes that were a tawny brown. He wore a well-cut, conservative business suit, gray and lightweight, the material intended for summer. But this was early May, and the weather in New York was cool. Any minute now I expected him to try the old ploy. Haven't we met somewhere before? Deliberately I shut him out of my mind, and felt relieved when Norman came to the door. Before I could gather up my briefcase and rise to join him, however, he stopped me. "'Hello, Molly. Will you forgive me if I see Mr. Landry first? He's here from out of town, and we'll talk for just a moment.' Norman took my agreement for granted, and with a last, oddly doubtful look in my direction, the man from out of town disappeared through the door to Norman's office. I settled back to wait— glad that I was rid of him for the moment. With a new manuscript ready to deliver, I was already turning to ideas for the next book. That's what I would think about now, 
No matter where I was, I could go off into space, as my father called it, and lose myself in my imagination. With a notebook open on my briefcase desk, I jotted down a few ideas I didn't want to lose, and thus preoccupied, I hardly noticed that it was more than a moment before the two men returned to the waiting room. To my dismay, Norman brought Mr. Landry over to introduce him. "'We're doing a book about Mountford Hall Plantation outside of Charleston, South Carolina,' Norman explained. "'Charles Landry represents the present owner of Mountford Hall.' Landry took my hand in his and held it for a moment, looking deeply into my eyes. "'Astonishing,' he said. "'Absolutely astonishing.' I took my hand back quickly and walked into Norman's office, hoping this would be the last I'd see of Charles Landry. His intensity made me uncomfortable. I was always writing about intense men.